My name is David, and I'm the pastor at Creekside Church, and um, we're going to try something this morning that did not go so well in the first service. We're going to try it again. Uh, with it being Super Bowl Sunday, uh, how many of you are cheering for the Chiefs tonight? Okay, good. There you go. How many about the 49ers? Okay. How many of you could care less? There you go. Okay. That went a lot better than it did in the first service. The first service, they were like, who's this football guy? Get him out of here. We don't even have any comprehension of what you're saying. So thank you. All right. You did awesome. Uh, I'm actually a Chicago Bears fan. Uh, I don't know if Braz is in the room, but um, me and you, man, me and you, we are going through this together. And um, and like, uh, like was said earlier, I was a pastor here about three years ago, two or three years ago. And uh, my wife and I, we just didn't like it anymore and said, we've got to get out. That's a joke, too. Um, just keep up with me, all right? They're just going to keep coming. Um, and so, yeah, they, uh, the pastors here, uh, Charlie and Joel, they asked us if we uh, would be sent out and to plant a church in Goose Creek. And so we just celebrated two years as a church. And, yeah. We appreciate that. We just celebrated two years. Now, listen, I don't know if you drive by Goose Creek or if you live by Goose Creek or just happen to be in. It's like the Wild West, okay? So we have our work cut out for us. But by the grace of God, uh, we just celebrated two years. And um, Pastor Joel is there this morning and preaching for me. And so uh, what we like to do is just kind of represent the kingdom. And uh, man, I just want to say, listen, you guys have changed <laughs> since I have been gone. You guys have changed. Man, y'all got a building now. I wasn't here when we had the building. Um, I, you know, I used to help out with Charlotte. We had everything on a U-Haul, and uh, we unloaded the teardown over there at the elementary school. And um, I did connections. And, and actually, my, my situation, our family has changed a little bit, too. Uh, my wife, Ashley, and I, we just celebrated uh, the birth of our son a few, months, a few months ago. So we have a six-month-old. His name is Maverick. And uh, he's just just a little guy, just a little under six months old. And uh, we, we really can't imagine what we did before him. And I was just taking care of him constantly, you know. And uh, listen, that, that's what we're talking about, right? That's what we've been talking about over the last five weeks now. We've been talking about this idea of family and not necessarily whatever takes place in your roof, not your wife, not your kids, not your spouse, nothing like that. We've been talking about God's family. Right, God's family, we've said over the last several weeks that if God is our Father and through Jesus Christ we have been adopted as sons and daughters, that makes you and me brothers and sisters. And so we're under the family of God. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes in my family we have a little bit of mis misunderstandings. We have some, some disagreements and misunderstandings. Some things get lost in translation. How many of you have this happen in your house where there's ju just generally a little misunderstanding. Okay, just me. I understand. Listen, I'm a sinner. I know it, but I'm sure that you probably have that too, misunderstandings. And um, a few months ago, I had this little um, disagreement with my wife, a little misunderstanding with her. You see, there's this little tool that I use to clean my teeth with, and uh, I just use it from time to time. It's just a little scraper, and I use it to clean my teeth. And uh, I was asking her one day, because I couldn't find it, I said, have you seen the scraper? And she says, I have no idea what you're talking about. I said, you know, the little scraper, the thing that I use to clean my teeth. And no idea, don't know what you're talking about. And so 
we, you know, finally discovered that somebody had broke into the house and passed over all the jewelry, and they just stole the scraper. That happens all the time, probably at your house too, where they just, it's like it's gone. I don't know where it is. And, and finally, I did some more digging, found the scraper, and I walk up to her, and I say, look, this is the scraper that I was talking about. And she looks at me, and she goes, oh, that's the scraper you use for your teeth? I've been using that for my toes. Okay, all right. So I, I did what any what any man with self-respect would do. I gagged, and then I called my attorney. Sure enough, and, and listen, misunderstandings, they're, they're bound to happen within the house, right? They're bound to happen in the family. Misunderstandings, disagreements, things happen. And, and it, I don't know about you, but sometimes I see it within the church, too. You know, where we have this understanding of what something is supposed to be, and then we treat it like it's supposed to fulfill that very purpose. I see a, a nice little tool here. I, this is what I use to clean my teeth with. My, my pearly wife's got to have it. She sees it as something to obviously clean her toes with. But when whatever you see something as determines how you're then going to use it. And it is likewise the same same situation with the family of God. However you see it determines how you'll treat it. Let me give you a few examples. If you see God's family as something that God designed and created for you, then you're going to treat God's family and the church as if it's something about you. Some of us, we might see the church, God's family, as a place that we come to fellowship. Some of us might see the church, God's family, as a place where we come to worship and we have this cathartic experience and we raise our hands. That's what the church is supposed to be. Some of us might see God's family as the people who help us grow. And so that's why we come to church. That's why we go to missional communities. That's why we're in our huddles, because the church is supposed to help me grow. Some of us, we, we might even see God's family as just a, this this group of people that are supposed to help me get through life. Because I'm a tribe. i got to have them. They're my encouragement. This is, they help me get through life. And if that is how you see the church, if that is how you see God's family, then that's probably how you're treating God's family. And I, I just want to say this, that, that none of those things are bad. They're just incomplete. You track it with me? They're, they're just incomplete. God did not design the church. God did not design God's family primarily so that we could find the satisfaction and fulfillment that is a byproduct of that. But it's not primarily why God brought us together as brothers and sisters. And so the question is, why did God create the church? Why did God design this beautiful thing? Why did God bring us together as brothers and sisters? He didn't have to. Like, we could have all gone our separate ways. But somehow, he decided to bring us together as a family so that we could do something. What is it? What is that something? I just want to read a couple verses to you to, to kind of help us have a, a better understanding about why God brought us together, why God saved us. Habakkuk 2.14 says this. He says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Psalm 19.1 says to the choir master, a psalm of David, he says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above they proclaim his 
handiwork. Revelation 21, 23 says, And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. You see, you and I were brought together as brothers and sisters, and it ain't about us but it is to display the glory of God to an unbelieving world. That's why God created the church, so that you, me, we could come together and show an unbelieving world out there that, listen, there is a Father who we know and who we love, and we want to display His glory around the world. That's why the family exists. And the bottom line this morning, if you don't take anything else, I want you to take this, that God's family, exists to display His glory to an unbelieving world. That's the bottom line this morning. You see, everything that God does and everything that God creates, He does it for His glory so that He can look good. That's why He brought us together primarily to display His glory. Why would it be any different for the church, His greatest creation? Why would it be any different for us? It's not. So we love to make God about us. We like to write God into our story. And sometimes we use the church as this tool or this mechanism, this group of people that we can get together with to advance us in our story as we make God a part of our story. And that's not why God created the church. Sometimes we, we love to make life about us. I, I even think about that Psalm 23. Oh, man, we love that verse. God's all into me. Psalm 23. You could probably quote it. Some of you might have read it to your children last night. Oh, man, he leads me beside still waters. Quiets my soul. He does all this for me. Man, God's really into me. God's really into me. God loves me. Why does he do this? He does it for his name's sake. Ephesians 3, 8 through 10 says this. He says, to me, this is Paul speaking. He says, though I am the very least of all the saints, He says, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, family, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You see, God brought us together as brothers and sisters so that we could show the rest of the world how good our daddy is. How good our daddy is. I remember this one time, my dad had just got a, a, a new job at UPS. And he's been there a long time. He works management. And they had this one big night where you bring your family together and we still have the picture up on mom's refrigerator and we're all like smiling and we've got pristine hair like our clothes is iron and everything why because dad just took a new job and we're going to make daddy look good right we're gonna make daddy look good everybody be on your p's and q's listen if i have to talk to you it's gonna be bad when we get home listen I'm, I'm not translating that to my, my dad, okay? Our, our Heavenly Father is a lot different, but, but hopefully you understand that we exist to make our father, our daddy, look good around the world. He's bringing glory to himself. You see, this story that we're a part of, this brotherhood and sisterhood, it's been going on a long time before we got here, and it will be going on long after we leave. And so that we should feel the weight of that. We should feel the importance of that. But the question is, How does the church, how does God's family display the glory of God? 
how do we do it? How does the church display the glory of God? How does the church make daddy look good? And I'm sure that even as we say this, there's some of you right now that are going to say, I can't be used for the glory of God. You don't know my story. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what's been done to me. I can't be used for the glory of God. I'm outside of that. And if that's you, I invite you to lean in this morning. Turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. That's where we've been over the last several weeks. And we're going to land the plane this morning and, and kind of answer the question of how we, as brothers and sisters, display the glory of God to an unbelieving world. Romans chapter 12. You're there, say, I'm there. He says this. He says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, if you've been going along with us the last several weeks, you notice that that little word there, all, is different. So far, we've been saying brothers and sisters. He said that about 15 different times in the book of Romans. We get to Romans 12, 17 and 18, and the language changes. He's no longer saying brothers and sisters. He's no longer making this an internal thing, but he's saying to all. He says, listen to this again. He says, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Repay no one evil for evil. I just say this, I've tried to make this lighthearted the best I can. I've done my best, but whenever Paul uses the word evil there, you you got to go ahead. Paul says, repay no one evil for evil. What do you do whenever something evil is done to you? Listen, we display the glory of God in these situations that whenever evil is done to us, we declare and we say that God's goodness is greater than evil. I'm going to say that again. I don't know if you're tracking with me or not, that we declare the glory of God to an unbelieving world by whenever evil befalls on us, we say and we show that God's goodness is greater than evil. Listen, if you live long enough, you're going to bleed. If you live long enough, you're going to have scars. You're going to have enemies. Whenever I was a kid, I, I would read this and talk about my enemies and my Kids, you know, you might have an enemy, maybe, I don't know, might have an arch nemesis or something like that. I thought it was that kid that, you know, made fun of me or cut in line or something like that. And, you know, it's kind of this lighthearted, playful thing. But then I grew up and you really have enemies out there in the world. You're going to have enemies. And chances are, if you don't have one now, you probably will down the road. And Paul says here, Paul is showing that 
we do not repay evil for evil, but we give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Listen, I don't understand it. I don't know. But somehow in God's economy, it is more honorable or of the highest respect to forgive someone whenever they do something evil to you. It is more honorable to forgive than to repay. not necessarily what he's saying. How do you forgive someone and be honorable when they've done something evil to you? Listen, you can do that. You can do that. Through your own power, through your own flesh, you can do that. It is, ha- it is something that God has to do in and through you. Only God can bend evil for good. Only God can bend evil for good. Listen, God brings healing and forgiveness. Pastor Tim Keller says it this way. He says, in the short run, forgiveness hurts more than wounds. It hurts. When you lash out or try to harm them to pay back, it does feel good in the short run. But in the long run, it makes you like the perpetrator. It makes you cruel. It makes you hard. And oddly, the evil wins. So if evil is done to you and you just pay back, you're just spreading short run, it feels good. In the long run, it actually feels bad. In the short run, forgiveness is a lot harder. But in the long run, forgiveness liberates. Forgiveness liberates. It's like healing. Repay no one for evil. I even think about that verse, Romans 8.28. We say it all the time. You might have a shirt or a coffee cup or something that says it. Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together. For the good of those who love him. And we love that verse and we champion that verse. God loves me. That's all about me. Everything's going to work out fine for me. And we leave off that last little piece. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. It ain't mine. It ain't yours. It ain't. It ain't my intent that I use any evil in my life or any evil in my situation, in my story, to bring glory to God. But he allows us and he does this thing where God's glory shines the brightest, where his grace is working the deepest. You got pains, you got scars this morning, you're hurting this morning, you got enemies. Things have happened to you in this life that are more than just unfortunate. They are evil. Listen, God's glory is best shining and best on display through wherever it hurts the most. This is where he shines the brightest, where his grace is working the deepest. Then he goes on. He says, he says repay no one evil for evil. Uh, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We display God's glory whenever we allow God's vengeance to be greater than our retaliation. God says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Listen, we love to be vindicated. We love to be right. We love to have the last word. We will fight tooth and nail to win an argument. Like, we'll travel back 
years ago and say, look, 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 I got proof here. I was right, all right? You were wrong, and I was right. I told you so. How do you tell somebody I love you? I told you so. Sweet, gently with a rose. Listen, we hate to lose. We love to prove that that company was wrong for letting us go. We'll follow them back. Look, we made it. They didn't. How you like me now? Like, we love to show that, listen, we're somebody. We love to watch that old boyfriend or girlfriend fall to pieces after a breakup. We secretly kind of follow them just to make sure that they're not as happy as we are. You know, you might you might kind of see them out of the corner of your eyes, them doing their own thing, and hopefully we're kind of cheering for them not to make it, right? Some of us, we might have had an old teacher or family member that, you know, after we've made it, we want to go and find them, right? Say, look, look at me. You said I wasn't going to make it. Here I am. How do you like me now? We love a good revenge story here in America. Like, it's almost weird how we love revenge. Whether it's like a high school movie or whatever it is. Listen, Jason Statham and Liam Neeson, they have made millions off of this idea of revenge. They've made three John Wick movies based on the idea of revenge over a dog. Good gracious, they love some revenge. Listen, but if we feel like we need to avenge ourselves, and if we feel like we need to retaliate, it's secretly because we don't believe that our daddy has the last word. So retaliation, fighting back, payback, that last word, having to get in the last word, edge, listen, that has very little to do with your self-discipline and has a whole lot to do with your lack of faith in daddy has a whole lot of lack of faith and trust that God, whenever he says that vengeance is mine. Really? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Do you really trust God enough where you can leave it into his hands? Do you have enough faith in your father that whenever he says let go, that you will let go? I've told you that I have a son. And he's six months old right now. Best of my knowledge, he doesn't have any enemies yet. Um, to the best, and maybe so. I don't know. He's a big boy, and, and I, as his father, I want to do whatever it takes. I'll, I'll work ten jobs. I'll clothe whatever it, you know, whatever needs to take place. I'm going to make sure that that boy is taken care of. And I'm sure that down the road, he's going to have enemies, and he's going to have things happen to him that I, as his father, don't like, that I wish that I could change. I'm going to want to step in. Why? Because he is my son, and I love him. And whenever we think about God as father, we think about God as daddy, we think about how God loves us, and sometimes we can wrap our minds around that okay, and we think about how God will provide for us, and sometimes we, we wrap our mind around that, and it's okay. But whenever it comes to retaliation and him getting the last word, for some reason we really don't trust him as father. take matters into our own hands, we get a small piece of temporary glory. It might feel good 10 minutes. It might feel good a couple days. And sure, you might get a little bit of the credit. You might get a little bit of the glory. But over time, that fades. The happiness that it brought you fades. The glory fades. 
See, whenever God brings vengeance and whenever God steps into a situation, he does better than we can do. And he brings glory to himself in the process. Listen, we often think that. You know, God's going to get the glory. God's going to either do it through an act of forgiveness or he's going to do it through an act of vengeance, through an act of wrath. And anybody who harms his children will one day have to stand before him. Trust me. Trust me whenever I say this. So he goes on, he says. Repay no one evil, vengeance is mine. Verse 20. He says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Give him food and water. What? They ain't getting none of my food. They ain't getting none of my water. They can get that at the, at the prison. They can get it somewhere down the street. Paul says, if your enemy, God says, Paul says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Are you crazy? <laughs> what about my name? What about my story? What about my image? What, what, if, what, what about all the things that they say about me? What about my good name that they've trashed out in the community? Listen, I'm not saying that you don't defend yourself. I'm not saying that there's certain times and, and places where you need to take action. But really what I'm saying is over the last few weeks, we've talked about this, you're already dead. We just sang about it. It's no longer I who live, but it's who, it's Christ who lives within me. I've been crucified, and it is no longer I who live, but it's who, it's Christ who lives within me. So if it's Christ who lives within you, then let them talk about you. Let them roll over your back. Really? We're dead. You know what? That David Barton, man, he's just the worst. He's the worst. You know what? You don't have to say that, right? But it's okay because I'm already dead. It's Christ who lives within me. What about my name? What about my story? Listen, one of the best ways that we show the glory of God is by realizing, by understanding that God's glory is greater than our story. God's glory is greater than your story. See, we don't respond to hostility and chaos with violence. But we also don't do it with passivity either. We don't respond to violence and we don't, we don't respond to hostility and chaos with violence or passivity. We don't just watch it happen. You see, what Paul just says there is that we have to take action. We don't just stand there and take it, but we respond with good works. You know what I mean? Good works. Yeah, I mean, thank you. I'll bring him here. He's thirsty. Give him something to drink. We respond with service. That's why I love the idea of missional communities. I love the idea of missional communities because we're out in a world that is openly indifferent and even sometimes hostile towards Christ. They don't like you. They don't like your church. They don't like your Jesus. They don't like anything about you. But you're there, right? You're there with works of service. I think about that. Like the world says we don't like Christians and Christians respond through missional communities. Here's some cupcakes. The world says, we don't like the church, and, and the church responds, how would you like to come to a cookout with us? Got any Super Bowl plans? Come and hang out. The world says, we don't like Jesus, and the church says, give us all your orphans. Just bring them. Give them the church responds, the family responds, and we declare it, we show the glory of God in our midst by whenever evil comes, whenever indifference comes, whenever hostility comes, we serve and we love. And we forgive. 
rather than fighting that. Rather than fighting that. Now, that last word there, because I can see some of us scared. He says, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Listen, that doesn't mean that as the church that we respond with these snarky words of sarcasm. That doesn't mean that we respond with with this tongue-in-cheek kind of attitude. Well, you said this about me, and in my heart, I'm not really right with right with the Lord about it, and I'm really angry, so you know what? I'm just going to serve you instead. That's not what Paul's talking about whenever he says that. And so I don't want you to misunderstand. I don't, I don't want you to go out and serve the world whenever things happen to you with this kind of smug arrogance, like I'm doing the right thing. But whenever Paul says that somebody does evil to you and somebody does something where there's injustice, and first of all, they've messed up, there's an offense between them and God just by them doing that alone, by offending you. And he says, if you go back and you respond and you serve and you love, and they still don't respond to this, well, it's kind of like two strikes against you and two strikes against our father. They will heap burning coals on your head. That means they've kind of earned this place. They are without excuse because they saw forgiveness openly and they still denied the goodness of God. So he says that. He says, the thirsty, give him something to drink. Hungry, give him something to eat. By doing so, his glory is on display. Then he goes on, verse 21, he says, Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome with evil, but be overcome evil with good. Now, I've been thinking about that over the last several days. I really, uh, that is such a hard concept for us to grasp. Such a hard concept for us to grasp. And to help us here, I wanted to show you uh, a clip up on the screen. That was a story there, and obviously that that clip should probably hit close to home for many of us, something that transpired just about 30 minutes away from where you sit right now. And if you haven't seen that documentary, Emmanuel, that came out last summer, I strongly encourage you to see that. It perfectly depicts this idea of how we as the church overcome evil with good. Now, one of the pastors involved in this entire scenario, his name is Pastor Thompson. And one of his wife, uh, his wife was a part of the nine, and she was killed by Dylan Roof. And it came time for Pastor Thompson and for all the other families to gather ever at the trial. And he said, I don't want to go. I'm not going. I'm not going to the trial. I won't be there. And everybody kept urging him, you need to go, you need to go, you need to be there, you need to go, you need to be there. And he kept saying, no, I'm not going to go. Everybody kept urging him, his daughters would urge him, just got to go, got to go. And he finally said, okay, I'll go. And he got ready and heads to the court. And as he's getting ready to walk through the doors of the courtroom, and probably for the first time, be very, very, very close turns and he looks at his daughters and he says, we're here, but we're not saying a word. We're not saying anything. You just stay seated. Stay seated. Don't say anything. He walks in, he sits down, everything takes place, and he's sitting there, he's resting, he's chewing on it. 
And he hears the voice of God say to him, stilly and quietly, he says, you need to speak. You need to speak. You need to say something. I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to do it. I ain't got nothing to say. God keeps speaking to him. You need to say something. You need to say something. You need to say something. Finally, the voice gets so strong. He stands up and there to the man who was murdered. I forgive you. I forgive you. Forgive you. Now, this is an extreme case. stood up and said, I forgive you. And in this moment, this pastor, he allowed the glory of God to be greater than his own personal story. What about my story? What about my image? What about my family? It's wrecked. It's gone and I can't have it back. documentary up above, we just saw one of my good friends, Pastor Keaton, Philip Keaton at Radiant Church. You heard those words. He says there's going to be a response, right? You expect a response. He says that in all the cases around the country, whether it's police brutality and African Americans shot by policemen, whatever it is, there's riots, there's chaos in the streets. He says, surely there's going to be a response here in Charleston over not just one, but over nine, right? Nine of our African-American brothers and sisters shot to death. There's going to be a response. Now in the video, he finishes with this. He says, if you want to know that God is real, come take a look at the unburnt streets of Charleston. There's no riots. display the glory of God to an unbelieving world. In the good times and the bad, in the joy, in the happiness, and in tragedy and when it rules them. So that Jesus, our Daddy, God our Father, looks to us. Father, as we come this morning, our hearts are just overwhelmed, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again, God, uh, I can't do this. I want to repay evil for evil. I've got to have the last word. I have to win. And every time I do that, 
Every time the flesh gets in the way, I'm moving you to the side. Every time I get the credit, every time I get the glory, it doesn't last. But whenever you do something mighty and powerful through your church, you get the glory and it's not something that's temporary, it lasts a lifetime. Respond to evil with works of goodness and gladness. Allow your spirit to move in through us so that we have the power. We love you, Jesus. We're thankful that you are a good Father who clothes us, who loves us. But also who avenges us. We trust you with your